When I was in college, like a lot of you, maybe, not in the first service, but I waited tables. Any of y'all wait tables in college? Really? Everybody I knew waited tables. Maybe it was all there was, do, all there was to do in my college town. So anyway, okay, so like none of you, I waited tables in college. And waiting tables was a lot of fun because um, I didn't have to sit still, which I'm not good at. And I got to meet a bunch of new people every day and interact with them for, you know, half an hour at a time. And they were gone. Made a little money. Make a little money if you're good at waiting tables. So I made a little money. Um, worked at a few different places. And when you first hired at a restaurant, like most jobs, you have to go through training, which means you have to follow somebody around in restaurant business if you're waiting tables. You have to follow somebody around and watch them do their job. And you also have to watch them take the tips off the table that you want to be taking off the table and putting in your own pocket. But you don't get to do that when you're training. <clears throat> and so you have to do that. But anyway, I've been waiting tables for a while at a few different places. And in those days... In college, I was very humble. And so I politely told my trainer that I wanted to just start waiting tables. I didn't want to do two weeks of training. I'd been doing this for a while. And she looked at me from across the table for a long time. And I know what she was doing. She was really just trying to take in all of the glory of my table waiting potential and my glowing personality and my limitless talent and I'm not real sure. It's been a long time. I don't remember what exact words of adulation that she poured out on me in that moment, but I am sure that she tried to have me fired that day. Um, she didn't, and we actually became good friends, and so that was that's good, but she probably should have. Um, but needless to say, in spite of all of that potential, I did the training. And I did that training because I didn't know anything about that restaurant. And waiting tables, is it, it seems like it's probably the same in different places and all that, but it's not. And I didn't know their business. I didn't know how they did things. I didn't know what they wanted from me. It wasn't the same as my previous job. As far as they were concerned, I didn't know anything about anything. And that was probably closer to the truth than what I thought. But if I was going to be representing them, then they needed to evaluate me and they needed to make sure that they communicated several things to me about what they expected from me in that position. I needed the training. Last week, Chris talked a little bit about two really crucial passages from the Gospel of Matthew. The first is the great commandment. When they asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And equal to that, not, second to, not secondary to that, equal to that, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. And he also talked a little bit about the great commission, which we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. And that's in Matthew 28. And Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's about to ascend. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you until the end of the age. Now, you've likely heard this probably a million times at this point in your life, but you've likely heard that this, this New Testament was written in Greek, and this little phrase that's often translated, go, therefore, and make disciples, actually has more of a continual connotation. So it's more like as you are going, as you're doing what you do, wherever you are, as you move through life, make disciples. And so we don't all have to be pastors or student pastors or children's pastors or work at a church at all. We are all called to the same thing, you and me alike, to make disciples. 
This is our job description as a believer. I hope that kid's okay. It's probably my son. So whether you're a pastor or a plumber or a monk or a maitre d', we all have the same calling in Christ to make disciples. Jesus didn't say, help your pastors make disciples or watch your pastors make disciples. All of us together were to be making disciples as we go in all the places that we are. What is a disciple? The word disciple obviously is close to the word discipline. When you think discipline, a lot of us maybe think getting swatted with a belt when we were younger. Is that allowed anymore? Can you still do it? still allowed? Okay, good. <clears throat> it's happened to you, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about punishment. I'm talking about the kind of discipline that you give yourself fully to something. And obviously on a weekend like this, we think of people in the military. Or we might think, and when we think about that kind of discipline, we might think about someone in the martial arts or someone who studies their whole life to become a virtuoso at some musical instrument um, or something like that. That's, that's a discipline. The people that engage in that throw themselves into it fully, those are disciples. So how do we make them? I can't force somebody to be a disciple. We don't build them in labs like Frankenstein's monster. There's no formula. There's not, a, there's not an instruction manual for all of us to follow on how to make disciples. You look at Amazon on how to make disciples, and you'll find any number of books. Four marks of a disciple, five marks of a disciple. I don't know how many there are supposed to be, but there's lots of those books, you know. How to Make Disciples, Building a Discipling Culture. I have that book on my bookshelf. It's actually pretty good. A lot of them are good. How to Make Disciples in Your Own Home Using Only Common Household Items. That one's not real. So I can't get you a copy of it. For too long in too many circles, discipleship has been misunderstood. And this is a frustration of mine, a personal frustration of mine. I've only been up here... A few times in my first year here, and so you might have actually already heard me say it. My memory's not that good, so I can't remember if I said it or not. But discipleship has been misunderstood for a long time in too many places as being Bible study. But discipleship is not Bible study. Bible study is a part of discipleship. But there's more to it. And so no one misunderstands. Studying the Bible is crucial. It's necessary. It's foundational in discipleship. But that's not all there is to it. Because we can study all we want. But if we never apply it, if we never live it out, then we become what Paul calls some people in his second letter to Timothy, those who are always learning, but who never attain the understanding, the truth. And we don't want to be those people. So the scriptures, God's written word, how God has chosen to reveal himself to us, foundational, not questioning that. Paul says to Timothy, his protege, a pastor that he left in Ephesus, uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote, to the church in Ephesus, which we call Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the Bible. That's a letter that Paul wrote to that church. That's the same place. 
he leaves Timothy there to pastor, and he writes two letters to Timothy. Paul and Timothy are very close, you can tell from the writing. And he's continuing to train Timothy even after he's gone. So he writes this. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. And then he says this, and you've probably heard this before. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. With the implication being that if we're equipped for these good works, we should be doing these good works. Why? So that people will know how awesome we are and how holy we are? No. That's what Jesus says. So that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Not to bring attention to ourselves. That's idol worship. We do the good works that we're trained to do by the scriptures and by the leading of the Spirit so that people will see the light of Christ in our lives and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And wasn't that what Jesus was doing? That's what he said he was doing. Why should we do anything any different? So we learn from the scriptures and we're trained by the scriptures how to live it out. For what purpose? To become more like Jesus. Not to know more about Jesus only, but to become more like him. And so there's two words that we don't really use often anymore that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, The first is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means sound doctrine. Knowing and believing the right things. That's orthodoxy. Not like the word, the generic word orthodoxy. There's an Eastern Orthodox Church, which was, we won't go into that. Um, That's not the word I'm using. And the second is orthopraxy. And that's where we get the related Greek word praxis, which we know more as practice or doing. So knowing and doing. You know the right things, we do the right things. Too often, sometimes, throughout church history, these things get separated. And sometimes we've had groups that over-focus or only focus on orthodoxy, knowing and believing the right things. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Doctrine is good. Good doctrine is good, I should say. (laughs) Sound doctrine is good, but not by itself. Because I think we've all probably at some point in our lives known that person who could run circles around anybody else on what they know about the Bible, about church history, about the history behind the canonization of Scripture and the characters that we, the characters like it's fiction, and the people that we find in Scripture. They know all this stuff. And you think, how did you know all this stuff? Where did you even learn that? And they could run circles around anybody that we know. But they're mean. They're rude, they gossip, they backbite, they scheme. And I just, I don't, I don't see those two things lining up. 
So orthodoxy by itself isn't worth much. James says in his letter, don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. That's the idea. We don't want to be people who are always learning, but never attaining knowledge of the truth. That knowledge of the truth is to live it out, to give it away, not to attain some higher consciousness. The best kind of discipleship is done in close relationship. Now, there's all kinds of discipleship. You heard me say earlier that sort of my, my dummy definition of discipleship is all of the ways that we become more like Jesus. So I can read a book from a stranger. I can listen to a sermon from a pastor I'll never meet. I can learn from that. I can grow from that. That's okay. That's discipleship. I can have accidental random conversations with somebody that I've never known and will never see again, that God uses to prick something in my heart to grow me, to bring me to understanding in some area. That's discipleship. There's also intentional discipleship. And that happens in close relationship. And Paul and Timothy are a great example. Because Paul has installed Timothy into the pastorate of this little church in Ephesus and left him there because he trained him. And trusts him. But he's continuing to pour into him even after he's gone. He's encouraging Timothy. How to address certain things that are happening in the church. Not to lose heart when things get frustrating. What to be out, sorry, what to be on the lookout for. A friend of mine likes to define or describe discipleship as getting down in the mud of life with people and crawling through it. Jesus called it bearing one another's burdens. To help each other along. No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how long you've believed. We're to train each other. We're to help each other grow. To encourage one another. To build one another up. To teach and correct and guide each other, to help us keep each other connected to the vine so that our lives will produce the fruit that they're intended to produce. How do I get qualified to do that? Because there's so much I don't know. Yeah, that's true for all of us. And the great part is, maybe this will set your mind at ease, you're not going to get qualified to disciple other people. Jesus qualified you to disciple other people with what he did on the cross. Because discipleship, ultimately, boiled down to its essence, is what we say here at Crosspoint all the time, is pointing people to Jesus. That's not just a catchy phrase we use. That's the heart of our task given to us by Jesus himself. To point people to Jesus. That our light might shine before the world, that they would see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. That's the point. We're pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing people to the Father. That's our whole job. 
And I hate to break it to you this morning, but you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. But we act like that sometimes. You can't do it. God is doing that work. He's using us to do that work. Where we're to be obedient to God in that is to invest in the lives of the people around us. We've been talking for many weeks. We just finished a series. I probably should have just kept the graphic up. We just did a big series called My Story. What's your story? How is God using that in the lives of people around you? Oh, no, God can't use my story. Oh, yes, he can. Have you read the Bible? You met some of these people that, that God used to do awesome things? Your life has value. Your story has value because it's been redeemed by Christ. And he's using that. Everything that has ever happened in your life, the good or bad, wonderful or ugly, disaster. Romans 8.28, Paul says, All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What Paul doesn't say is that all things are good. Everything that's happened to you is awesome. Has everything that's ever happened to you been awesome? No. You probably didn't have anything awesome happen to you today. All things work together for good because God is sovereign. Because God is at work moving, arranging, guiding, bringing people into your life, bringing you into people's lives. And it's our responsibility to be intentional about engaging those opportunities. Because I hate to break it to you, you ever heard a like a well-known celebrity say, oh, I'm not a role model. Don't do what I do. Well, yeah, it turns out you are. You just might not be a very good one. But the fact of the matter is, is that in whatever small way or whatever large way, we have influence in the lives of the people around us, and we are leading them toward something all the time. In every moment, with every word. The question is, where are you leading them? What are you pointing them to? In our case, to whom are you pointing them? That's proper grammar. To whom? I wanted you to notice that I said that. When we learn to filter our experiences through the scriptures, with what we see, read, read through scripture, the things that happened to these people, some of the character of these people before God got a hold of them. When we learn to to filter our own experiences through the scriptures, the plot starts to make more sense. Each of us is unique. We're all created in God's image. I say this to our students. I'll say it a thousand more times. We're all... We're all created in his image, specially made, one of a kind. Special edition, collector's edition, one of one. There will never be another one of you ever. You're uniquely gifted in the spirit with good works prepared ahead of time for you to walk in. God has a purpose for your life. 
inside his purpose for his glory. That's true of everyone you know. It's true of everyone you've ever met. And discipleship is engaging that with the people around us and pointing each other to Jesus. And you may not know why or how God would ever use your life or your story, but he does. The author of Proverbs, Proverbs 3 is a well-known verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You may not know how God is going to use you or why God would use you, but he does. Trust him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on his. Trust him, and he'll make it make sense to you. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. What we have to know is Jesus. What we have to be willing to do is to build our lives and to help each other build their lives on the foundation of who Jesus is. And we know who Jesus is through the written word, the scriptures. We can't do it on sound doctrine alone. We can't do it on whatever we think right living is by itself. We can't even understand that concept without understanding the scriptures rightly. Those two things must come together. It's not about making little copies of yourself. Nobody wants that. You are unique. I'm unique. Everyone around you is unique. And this is not a let's pat ourselves on the back because we're all unique kind of moment. It means you were called to be you. And you were called to be you. And I was called to be me. And thank goodness no one else is called to be me. We don't need another one of me running around. I led worship one time at a little mini conference for students. And the guy that was teaching the whole weekend, he got up there. I didn't even know who Matt Chandler is. Yeah, you guys are good. Okay. <clears throat> so none of you have waited tables. None of you have heard Matt Chandler. Um, Matt Chandler is a preacher from Texas, and he has a pretty unique style of teaching. Anyway, he's, he was real popular for a long time. I guess he still is. Um, but this guy got up there and basically was trying to be Matt Chandler, like using phrases that he uses, talking in the same cadence. He even, like, lowered his voice a couple of notches on the register, and I was like, whoa, buddy, just be yourself, man. It was really distracting. Anyway, we're unique. God has called you to something. A unique set of experiences lies ahead of you, just as a unique set of experiences lies behind you. But our calling is the same, to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the discernment and the wisdom. To know who and how where to engage. God, when we, when we say that we, there's someone out there that needs our story, it's not because of us. It's because of what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us be intentional about engaging every moment, being aware that every word, every attitude, every look, Every facial expression has impact, immeasurable impact. God, that you would help us 
know how to build our lives on the foundation that is Jesus. You would give us wisdom and the grace that you give us every day for someone to point us to Jesus, for us to be able to point someone else to Jesus. Amen.